Denmark is is going organic, I would say. Um, we have 99% of the population can identify the organic logo and mention at least one key element of what that's all about. 80% of all Danes buy organic food today, 52% buy organic food every week. We have the highest uh, market share in the world, which is about 13, 14% of the total food market. But on a lot of the really high volume basic products like milk, eggs, flour, oats, many vegetables, we have between 30% and 50% of the total food market. You just heard from today's guest, Paul Holmbeck, a former North Carolinian who relocated to Denmark some 20 years ago and has helped implement Denmark's transition to their goal of having an entirely organic food producing country. Before we dive into the interview, I want to thank you for subscribing and ask you to visit our website, realorganicproject.org, to become one of our thousand real fans. Our movement is growing quickly, and if you're interested in keeping real organic food on your table, please subscribe to our newsletter and support our farmers. Now let's get back to the conversation between my co-director, Dave Chapman, and organic strategist, Paul Holmbeck of Denmark. Welcome to the Real Organic Podcast, and I'm very pleased today to be talking with Paul Holmbeck. Uh, Paul is an American living in Denmark, and he was the policy director of uh, Organic Denmark for years, and now works as an advisor and a consultant and an activist in, in many spheres around the issue of organic food in Europe and the world. So welcome, Paul. Thank you. Glad to be here, Dave. Um, I, I really appreciate, uh, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to this conversation because I think that you really bring a perspective that most Americans really don't know much about what's happening in the EU or in Denmark or, or the whole rest of the world around the organic movement. And I, I, I think, you know, what's happening, of course, what's happening in Denmark is, is so inspiring. So before we get into that, let's start with how in the world did you get to Denmark from America, you know, and, and how did you get to be a policy director of, of um, Organic Denmark? Yeah, well, um, it was love that brought me to Denmark. Uh, <laughs> it was uh, against my will almost. Uh, I was very happy doing political work in North Carolina and uh, and had a great you know community life there and everything. We were just supposed to be here for a year, um, but uh, yeah, and I'd had a little bit to do with. Uh, with organics before that, you know, I was part of a food co-op, uh, packing raisins and walnuts and everything together with other people, learned a lot about organics that way. But I didn't really meet organic farmers until we moved our co-op into this low-income community where I was doing affordable housing work and economic development work. Um, so I got to know some organic uh, farmers and producers before that, but it was really first in Denmark that I started to... Uh, to work with organics. And I was a journalist when I arrived in Denmark um, and uh, did journalism for three years. And then I got a job as a political uh, policy developer for uh, three small organic associations uh, in 1995 um, and uh, kind of built from there. 
All right. Well, how about, um, again, assume that we know nothing, because um, most, most people listening to this really won't know much. Um, describe the organic movement in the EU and then particularly in Denmark. Um, was it a parallel track to the U.S. or was it off on its own? You know, how did it, how did it develop and how has it grown? Well, I, I mean, the organic movement in Denmark developed as it did many places, you know, started with some, um, some hippies uh, wanting to do agriculture in a different way, sell directly to consumers, um, and then gradually building up, you know, some organizations, um, you know, started making your own rules uh, together, sitting around in, you know, school auditoriums, um, designing what organics is, and then we were the first country in Denmark to do a national uh, set of standards for organics. Uh, we did the first organic law in the world, the first organic logo. Um, and so that's had an influence uh, really through the decades on the European Union because we had standards that were used to establish uh, European standards. We were the first to do action plans. That was an inspiration for the first European action plans. Um, and the movement today uh, in Europe is very strong, um, and both at the policy level, um, keeping organics on track in terms of standards, but also um, working deeply with uh, climate policy, agricultural policy. And I think that's a key for the whole world organic movement is we have these strong a regional, this is an IFOM, uh, International Federation of the Organic or Agricultural Movements, um, where especially in Asia and Europe, we have very strong regional groups, which are then helping build capacity in the individual countries, uh, making strong organic associations um, and a good interplay between the regional work and the national work, um, which you know, has had positive policy effects. So I think worldwide we need to strengthen those those regional structures, and then as a way of you know empowering the organic movement politically and and in market development. Okay, so you say that Denmark developed the first national standards. How long ago was that? Do you know? Uh, that was in uh, nineteen ninety one, nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety one. Okay, uh, and uh, and the first logo was made around that time. The first organic law was done in 1987. So it actually took three years before we had standards and a logo. Um, and it was also the first country where we established what was called the Organic Agricultural Council, which was advisory for the ministry uh, on developing organic policy. So in addition to standards, we also had a policy platform where we had the environmental organizations, consumers, agricultural organizations, all together working on policy development. Um, and that really took off, well, about the time I started there in 95, where we did the first action plan for organics uh, in the world. And it gave this breadth to organic policy, which has kind of been characterized the work in Denmark ever since, is that we have these broad policies developing organics in the market and in, on the farms and um, 
And that approach we brought when we had the, the EU commissioner position from Denmark uh, with Red Bjergård, um, we brought the idea of an organic action plan for Europe. And right now the, it's the third action plan that's being developed as part of the European Green Deal. Um, and many of the approaches we've had in Denmark um, are being used now. We had this whole push-pull strategy that we developed in the 90s where we had all these strategies to develop the push from the farm sector on organics and then the pull from the market at the same time. And we had a whole range of policies for both of those. And that's been worked into now the European Green Deal and what's called farm to fork, which is the whole agriculture and food aspect of the European Green Deal. Um, and it's that kind of dynamic that can really accelerate organic growth. And now the goal in the European Union is 25% of the agricultural area is to be organic in 2030. And that's, uh, that's quite an ambitious goal. And, uh, but it requires a lot of policy. And so that's the whole platform for building up new policy in the European Union. Okay, okay. Well, we'll definitely get into policy because that's a that's a critical part here. But um, so just to just to give people an idea of where things are at now in Denmark, mm -hmm. how strong is the organic movement? Um, you know what 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 percentage of of the food sold is organic, or you know how 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 strong is the consumer support? How, yeah. how, what, where's it at? Yeah, it's very strong. Uh, Denmark is, is going organic, I would say. Um, we have 99% of the population can identify the organic logo and mention at least one key element of what that's all about. 80% of all Danes buy organic food today. 52% buy organic food every week. We have the highest uh, market share in the world, which is about 13, 14% of the total food market. But on a lot of the really high volume basic products like milk, eggs, flour, oats, many vegetables, we have between 30 and 50% of the total food market. And right. We have the same kind of um, development in the food service sector driven by our intensive work with the food service sector and the trade unions representing the people in the in working in the kitchens the large industrial kitchens we've done this whole transformation there which has caused 10 20 percent growth per year in the food service area both the you know public kitchens but also restaurants and hotels and so on and yeah, exports, we've increased 12-fold since 2005, so that's also a, an important part for, for Denmark because we also we, we export two-thirds of the food we produce. So it's, a, um, it's also important that the organic uh, sector exports, but we have focused mainly on the, the, the local markets of Sweden, Germany, the Netherlands, France, so on. So very strong, and... People say that organics in Denmark is what you call folkeli. It's a, like kind of means sort of like of the people. It's like something that you see as sort of part of who you are. And we still have people who don't buy organic food and we still have, you know, some opposition, but it's really something people have taken as part of what you just do. It's like the new normal. Um, 
And that didn't happen by itself. That didn't really happen on its own. I mean, this is a part of, you know, really decades of close partnerships between Organic Denmark, the organic NGO, and the uh, retail sector, where we were the first country where organics was in the mainstream retail. So we've, we've worked with that. Um, there aren't many like pure organic stores in Denmark um, because we went into mainstream retail very early. Uh, we also went into discount very early and our approach that was somewhat controversial, you know, bringing organic food into discount. What's it doing there? But, but the approach is that we need to be where the people are. And, um, and so we've partnered at a strategic level with the, we started with co-op, which is, has about 40% of the market. This is a consumer owned supermarket chains. But now we work with all retail chains, including LD and Lidl and all of those, um, kind of working at the strategic level, position, positioning organics and their strategies, and then working down through their organizations to help them communicate better to consumers, help them to, um, you know, fill all the gaps in their product assortments, you know, so they, uh, and how to position the products in the stores. Um, and then, you know, helping them. We have like meetings with them, working on strategy for the next year every time, what kinds of events we have coming, and they get involved in those. Now, now, now let me interrupt yeah. for a second. So if you've convinced the mass market to carry organic to a really uh, large extent, I, I'm guessing that that's not out of a philanthropic uh uh, energy on the part of the stores that you've convinced them that there is a market and that people want to buy this food. Exactly. I mean, there's a commercial interest in it. And so we, as a, we can actually, we do uh, enough research that we can actually show a supermarket chain um, how much organics people are buying. People who are in their stores are actually buying their organics someplace else because they don't have it on the shelves. And that's motivating them we can show how much income they're missing out on by not having organics. So yeah, it's a commercial motivation, but it's really a it's really a collaboration um, that you know we try to meet. I mean, they have their interests, and we're building on those to help build the organic market. Just like with politicians, you know, it's like organics used to be way back on some back shelf someplace, and you know, nobody was interested, but by bringing it up front and center and creating some success in that way, um, setting focus on it, then they get some success and then that builds on it. So there's a real competition now among the supermarkets about who has the broadest product assortment yeah. and all that. So, yeah. And then we also work really intensively on, on consumer information about all the things that organics delivers on sustainability for environment, for clean drinking water is a big issue here because we get all our waters from groundwater, um, animal welfare, climate. So these are um, this, this communication, but then the supermarkets are part of our platform for this. And then we also put a lot of energy into that people don't just get information, but they come out and actually experience organic farms. So we actually have 5% of the Danish population out on an organic farm every year. That's like 16, 17 million Americans out on an organic farm. Actually, what, what, percentage, what percentage of those are 
or the day that they let the cows out of the barns. I know that's a big deal. In that's Denmark. our biggest event. There we have yeah. like about 4% of the population out. Yeah. <laughs> that's and, great. And it's yeah, so great. festive, you know, and it's really yeah. just puts a focus on what's different about organic. Like the cows are free. And yeah. and it's just, uh, that's been a big effect. And then, you know, we get the supermarket chains involved and the dairies, you know, they're promoting it on their milk cartons and, you know, just all those things to kind of bring it out to the people. Yeah. So, uh, so many, so many questions. So one thing that, that comes to mind is thinking about, uh, working with government and, uh, in America, we, we do have champions in government, but we also have enormous amount of opposition from big ag. And, um, I'm thinking just the, you know, the, the latest massive loss was uh, that the uh, National Organic Program created uh, a bill, uh, a, a, a rule for uh, animal welfare. Mm -hmm. And it was really intended to stop the certification of uh, totally confined poultry, which is happening in yeah. America in the organic industry on a massive level so that um, the majority, the, the large majority of organic uh, poultry and eggs in America come from from chicken facilities where chickens never gone outside in its life, and mm. you never touch the ground. And I'm curious, and that that laboriously, you know, they had found a loophole that enabled them to to get this certified, mm. and we went through. Uh, years of work in the National Organic Standards Board to come up with a proposal, it's a pretty gentle proposal, compromise, mm. and and then it went through the National Organic Program, and then it went through the USDA, and finally, after years of work, it was it was passed, and it was the last day of the Obama administration, or the last week, and the first day of the Trump administration, that was pulled for further study. And it was since totally rejected. And it was rejected at the lobbying of groups, you know, like the Pork Producers Association, mm -hmm. who have nothing to do with organic, but yeah. they're they're horrified at the federal government mentioning the words animal welfare. Yeah. And so they just saw this as a chink in the army armor. I'm just curious. So in Denmark, is there a big ag lobby that you have to contend with, or is Denmark different? There is. Um, Danish agriculture is, has been described by people from many other European countries as the most intensively well-organized professional lobby organization in Europe. So they are really good and they're really tough. Um, our approach in terms of working with um, the main agricultural organization has been well, re actually, researchers have looked at it and compared to other countries, and they call the Danish approach constructive conflict, where we, we collaborate intensively on developing new practices and, uh, and other things, or some areas where they agree, like they, they think exports is a great idea, so we collaborate on that. But then there's conflict where we have a very different vision about where agriculture can go, um, but also sometimes about what or organic agriculture is. And, but we have, um, so we have a close dialogue on that and they have their own organic organization internally who we actually agree with about a lot of things. 
So by strengthening and, and collaborating with the organic part of their organization, um, then, you know, if we're together, we really have gotten the mandate to define what organics is. But there are always issues, and it's usually about intensifying and making shortcuts and making things easier to uh, have a larger production of different products, etc. So we do have conflict points around that. But we've also spent enormous energy to um, get uh, have close relationships with the environmental organizations, animal welfare, consumers, organizations, so that they're kind of a, a, a weight on the other side for organics. And our, they are our allies. And so we've worked closely to have, you know, really a sense of solidarity with those organizations also based on the fact that we listen to them. They criticize some organic practices and they were, then we're, they can see that we actually go in and use that, what they see, what they want to happen. So it's kind of a, that's a strong weight on the other side. And then, you know, uh, so it's, there's some of that. But in terms of having political influence in, uh, around developing organic policy, our approach has been with politicians, and this is really why we have support of nine out of 10 political parties in the parliament, is that um, organic solves problems. And we can solve problems, you know, parties are interested in different things. Some are interested in green jobs and some are interested in environment, some are interested in animal welfare, but basically organics helps solve problems. And so with them, the fact that we collaborate also with a larger farm organization is important for some of those political parties. That we're not constantly in conflict with them because we, our approach has been we don't force politicians to choose between conventional and organic. Um, and there's a practical reason for that is because we would lose because conventional farming is so much bigger and so much more powerful. So, but it's also because we don't really need to make them choose. We've set focus on how do we develop this organic sector with research, with product development, with um, market development, and try to focus on this positive agenda all the time. But occasionally we've had periods, you know, around GMOs, um, around um, water quality, you know, protecting the drinking water. We have conflict issues, but we try to collaborate intensively. So the, the, big, the big three in America, our, our conflicts are a little bit different in the sense that you know, what we see is that there's more and more congressional support for organic. The question is, what does organic mean? Mm. And, uh, you know, the support tends to be for the large industrial organic producers. Okay, I'm not, I'm not against somebody because they're large. I'm against them because they've redefined organic. And, you know, they want to be in the picture. They like the name. They'd like to have their arm around my shoulder. But... Uh, what they're doing has often very little to do with what the organic community means by organic. And, you know, I'm thinking of these large confinement dairies and, and poultry operations. Yeah. And, you know, huge hydroponic producers mm -hmm. uh, of, of berries and tomatoes and peppers. I, I know that in Europe, uh, that debate has been ended. And, and organic means grown in the soil, but they're still production in Europe grown hydroponically that is shipped to America and certified by the USDA as organic. 
couldn't be sold in Holland where it's being grown. Right. But it, it's if they if for some reason the market fails, they have to dump it as conventional there. Yeah. So and the third one, of course, is the fraudulent grain imports from the from the gangsters in in uh, yeah. Eastern Europe and South America. Yeah. yeah, that's that's literally the mob that we're dealing with there. But they've been enormously successful at at bringing in cheap fraudulently certified grain and yeah. the USDA seems to struggle to do anything about it. I, I'm not quite sure why they're so helpless. Yeah. So I'm just curious. There there we have, and, and that cheap grain is part of the, the fuel, the economic engine for the for the confinement livestock operations. Yeah. So I'm curious, does does Denmark not have these kinds of conflicts? And when you say, well there's there's some conflicts, are those conflicts what I would consider to be really minor issues, because I consider these to be fairly major, major things about the foundation of yeah. organic. Yeah. What does organic mean? Well, I think we took a lot of those in the, in the early years, um, and once uh, we've we d- had defined, there's still skirmishes, but a lot of the battles on what organics is, you know, the principles of organic farming are written into the European regulation. Um, and but there's always new issues coming up. There's also new technologies coming up. Um, but by defining that um, you know all cows have to be out on grass, then you you are in you're limiting the size of what an individual farm unit can be. And you you can't have more cows than you can have out on grass. So you know just try trying to put in those clear. Um, barriers for uh industrial production is key yeah. um and, and so in denmark and GMOs, in denmark gmo yeah. was huge it's in the 1990s there was a serious effort from the biotech industry to uh, make sure that um, gmos could be used in organic farming and this was at a time when we didn't even have rules for animals yet we only had plant production rules so it was really kind of early stage um, and they made a major push in the European Parliament to try to get GMOs approved. They wanted that green stamp of approval. So from Organic Denmark, we went all in and really dedicated enormous resources and then worked with, we were actually two Americans were the co-leads on the whole uh, campaign in Europe for against GMOs and organics. There was a woman named Linda Ballard who was, had been working for the German Greens and I, and we organized consumer, uh, uh, environmental, and, and organic associations in all the European countries to lobby intensively in the parliament. And we won by very few votes. A, even in the agricultural committee, many of our, we had a whole list of things that had to be written in around GMOs. And some of them, we're talking like one, three votes. It's a very few votes, but we got the total ban in place. And then the commission switched when they saw that the parliament went against. Um, but that required enormous effort. So that's like one of those key moments in time where you have to set a line in. And then, you know, as you know, with the organic sector, then, the, then it's not finished yet. Then everything has to be written into national regulations. Then we had to develop. Then we found out that no one was testing things. So we had to like all of our imports of feed and other things. We had to make agreements with the uh, feed companies. And we had to go out and test. We were finding that there was still GMOs and feeds. You know, things were being spread. And, 
you know, we had to build up all these things. Then we developed the first GMO law uh, in the world in Denmark, creating a compensation for organic farmers if they were going to have if their fields were polluted. Um, we had to like build all these things up, but now we're you know pretty in pretty good shape, and there are no GMOs grown in Denmark at all. And that part of that was that you know kind of choosing strategy. If things just kind of flow into GMOs is the future, and now we're going to do this, but we put some lines in, and then that made it difficult for all the others to be using GMOs, and then now it's you know GMO free, not on yeah, feed, fantastic. but on 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 what's being grown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So, and is that true for um, in terms of organic certification around livestock in Denmark? Uh, if I go to the store and buy uh, a quart of certified organic milk, do I know that those cows went out to pasture during the grazing season? Yeah, yeah, because even and even if it's imported, um, you know, from some other country in the European Union or somewhere else. You still, it still has to be, you can't call anything organic. The word organic is a protected term. So if you want to call something organic, it has to follow the European regulation. You can't even refer to, to it otherwise. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so wonderful. Let's talk about climate. Um, okay. I think that, that organic agriculture is the natural world leader in creating an agriculture that that will help to reverse climate change. Do you agree with that? I, well, I, I do agree with that. I don't think we're, we haven't reached our goals. I mean, we have to reduce yeah. the climate emissions from organic agriculture dramatically. Um, but the whole, but it's necessary, you know, and we have you know, the climate panel, the UN climate panel and others, they're pointing to organics and agroecology as, you know, critical tools around the world to be used because we're using a lot of the right tools. We're doing carbon drawdown. We have more grass areas. We have more catch crops. You know, we're doing a lot of the right things. Um, but our approach to climate, I mean, in, in Denmark, from the organic sector side has been that we've tried to been, be out front on it, we've developed our first climate policy 15 years ago, and have tried to be, you know, front runners on the issue. And so, there's sort of been four things we've focused on. Um, one is just communicating, communicating, communicating to consumers because we have interests, uh, Danish and international, that are trying to make organics into a problem for the climate because we have lower yields out in the fields and therefore per kilo, then this is a real problem for, um, for the climate. Um, so we're communicating you know, the facts of what that organics is using many of the right practices, but also being humble and saying, we haven't solved all the problems yet, you know, not setting ourselves up to be perfect, um, because we're not, we still have a long way to go. And then we've also tried to spread best practice. We did the first tools for climate accounting on the individual farm and something called climate action plans, which gives a farmer a total overview of where the emissions are coming from on their farm and what actions they can do. Um, and then our whole effort in the public kitchens where we've done a total climate uh, and organic transformation. So 
trying to bring spread best practice, but then talking about them, getting them out in the press and having some of our farmers out on national TV describing what they do for the climate. Um, and then on policy, we've tried to be very much on the offensive. It's a, the organic farm sector in organic movement in Denmark has come with the most ambitious climate policies. We were the first ones out about carbon, uh, carbon taxation. We were the first ones out to say you have to have a carbon you have to have a carbon action plan on each individual farm in Denmark. Um, and so showing the level of ambition is another way of positioning the organic sector. And the last thing we did was is just intensive focus on opinion makers so that it's not the organic association that's defending organic farming, but our climate minister who's saying that uh, organic farming is actually part of the solution. No, they haven't reached their goals either, but you know, they're doing this and they're doing this and they're doing this. And this is what we need more of in all of agriculture. You know, it's, it's a, a big support. And then also at a, the, the C40, you know, at the, at the climate top meeting, these are the most ambitious, large cities in the whole world. Um, they came out and they supported when they were going to say, what are you doing about food? They came out with the Danish model which is climate and organic. A lot of people aren't, you know, aware of this outside of, you know, Europe, but that they actually, these, these are cities all over the world that said, you know, the, the food needs to be climate friendly and organic. So less meat, more plant-based, but organic, because then you've got, you know, the whole sustainability package. So that was like a huge uh, boost too. So, okay. Yeah, we need to be I have front several on questions it. here. So first is, you know, you mentioned there was an article, I think it was in Nature some years back, that, that basically said uh, organic agriculture was worse for the climate than conventional. I assume you've seen that. Oh, yeah. And, and I was astonished when um, the head of a department of environmental studies at a major university challenged me with that. I, I, I was, I didn't hadn't read the article. I'm like, mm. what are you talking about? Mm. So I'm curious, you've thought about it a great deal. Um, what would be your response to that? Maybe you could describe a little bit the, the argument for people and then your response. Yeah. Well, I mean, the argument is that um, because you have lower yields on, in, on organic farms, then when you measure the, the climate emissions per kilo of uh, flour or uh, other products, then you have a higher climate emissions per kilo. And so our approach to that was to, you know, let researchers, other researchers respond. Um, and what they've responded unanimously in Denmark is that, uh, and also, I mean, internationally, Organic farming has lower climate emissions per hectare. And that's one thing you need to start with. And the next thing is when you're looking at per kilo, then it really depends on what kind of life cycle analyst analysis you're using. And if you're using European standard life cycle analysis, there's essentially not much difference in the climate emissions from organic and conventional for essentially all products. And so, but then organics has all these other things, all these other services it's providing at the same time in terms of biodiversity, clean water, 
you know, food without pesticides. So, you know, if you want do if you want something that's more of the whole package, then it's more organic. So that's been part of sort of the public debate around it. But mostly it's been just letting researchers respond to researchers. Um, but it's a, you know, it's a really convincing argument. Wow, you know, we have to have, um, you know, higher production so that, you know, we have less climate effect. It's just very much like the argument about that, you know, more organics means more hunger in the world because you have lower yields. When in fact, all of the United Nations research, when they've taken thousands of research reports and you know, concluded on that basis is that organic farming practices and agroecology is like a critical solution to providing enough food in the world. So it's been turned on its head in some circles, but if you really look at the research, then organic farming, two to three times higher yields in developing countries where, you know, you need food most, more food on the table, higher household incomes, and better soil more climate robust in terms of uh, both drought and heavy rains caused by climate change. So it's like, you have to like take this whole picture. It's not an easy argument, but essentially we have research on our side and that's what we've had to, you know, put a lot of effort into bringing out to the world. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Have, have you put together, um, a paper on that? I'm just curious, or do you know of a really, you know, articulate reply to that that was been written. Oh yeah, I mean, fact sheets. Um, yeah. We came out. With, I mean, after that that report from Nature, you know, we came out with like these one pagers, which described what I've just said, but also described like what the organic farming movement is actually doing in relation to climate, where we have the most. You know, we have climate policy, we've been converting the public kitchens, we've been developing climate action plans, we've been developing climate accounting. So it's like really kind of showing, you know, if you want to undercut organic farming, you're undercutting really the climate front runners in Denmark. So cut it out uh, kind of thing. And yeah, so communicating about that. Okay. Okay. Um, in Denmark, there's been a pretty big commitment to, to uh, with a huge financial investment. I mean, huge, but but uh, you know, I think 150 million dollars investment by the government to take the country organic. Is that did I get that correct? Yeah, we have. It's sort of hard to you know compare. We got we're really a tiny country. Um, there are more people in North Carolina than there are in Denmark. You know, so, um, uh, but, but I mean, it's basically the, the budget for organics. If we're talking about, you know, conversion support for farmers and market development, the whole package, we're looking at like maybe 10 bucks per citizen. So you can figure out what that would be in the United States. Be like, about I think it's about $19 billion. billion. It'd be about 3 billion per year. Probably. Oh, really? Yeah. Per year. Yeah. But it was a five year commitment, right? So yeah, I, and that I, was just, I calculated it at about 19 billion in American dollars. Yeah, but that, yeah. And so that's actually pretty close. <laughs> and what's, what's different in Denmark, even in relation to most European countries, is this breadth of policy where we've got, you know, conversion in the farm area, we have the conversion support, but then we have free um, inspection and free certifying 
Um, then we have, you know, any farmer in the whole country who wants, who's a little curious, kind of organic curious, um, and wants to hear more, they can get a whole day of advice where they get kind of a, it's called a conversion check, is where they get an idea of how their farm would look as an organic farm, where would the challenges be, you know, you can kind of um, eliminate some myths, you know, that they have, you just have a really good talk with them. Um, then we have, you know, investments in research and innovation, developing organic practices. So that's already at the farm level. Well, even 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 sooner, I believe that all organic certification is paid for by the government, right? Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't cost the farmer anything. It's no. one of the huge complaints that we get from small farmers is they say we just can't afford to go through that process. Yeah, yeah. And it's you know there have been attempts through the years. Uh, I can remember at least three where the government has said, ah, you know, now we're going to have to start taking some money for this certification and for this inspection. But their argument is that why should a farmer have to pay more to do so many things for society, you know, protecting our, the water we drink and the food that we eat and, and the nature that we live in. So, so it's, we've been able to kind of stop that. So I won't say we'll never have it, but um, yeah. So that's really positive. It's a positive signal to the farmers too. Um, so just then, to repeat that, because I think that's really important, Paul. Yeah. In Denmark, the government, the 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 servant of the people, has decided or agreed that organic agriculture is important enough to all Danish citizens, not just the ones who choose to buy organic, that all Danish Danish citizens are going to share some of the cost of promoting and making that possible. Do I have that right? Oh yeah. Because it's policy, it's just like anything else where the government is investing in the future and it's everybody's future. So, you know, organics is this multi-tool providing so many. We, in, the, in the 90s, we started using a picture of a Swiss army knife. That's, the, that's organic. You know, it's like, yeah, you can buy a screwdriver. Yeah, you can buy a corkscrew. Yes, you can buy a knife. But here you have something that's offering you know, helping to solve problems in all these areas. And that was useful with politicians who had very different focus. Um, you know, a far right-wing party that wasn't so interested in environment, but really thought animal welfare was important. Or, you know, so you can kind of work with um, different political interests based on their interests, which is really where it starts. Um, so, yeah, so now there's a broad consensus that organic Farming is a good thing. Um, different ideas sometimes politically about what should be supported, what kinds of things, like uh, our whole effort in the in the public kitchens and the hospitals and schools and childcare centers and military barracks and other things that we've converted to organic, is um, you know not super popular among some of the more right wing parties. They they think you know more um, market oriented. They they forget that public purchases of food is also part of the market. Um, but, uh, but yeah, there's this broader support because um, I sometimes use the uh, John Kennedy, you know, ask not what your country can do for you. I, our approach to politics is ask not, you know, what your country can do for organics, but what organics can do for your country. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we're providing that and then we deliver, we really deliver. So, uh, so politicians want to use us for problem solving. Interesting. Uh, is uh, I, I want to go back to the public kitchens, but I'm just curious. 
Um, is agricultural labor a part of this conversation in Denmark? You know, in America, um, certainly in you know uh, certain industries, uh, certain crops, vegetables, berries, uh, tree fruit, all of those, it requires a huge labor force to to cultivate and and harvest, especially mm -hmm. plant and harvest. And in America. I would say that the majority of that labor force is undocumented um, and as such has no legal protection, you know, uh, doesn't have the simple basic basic uh, minimum wage, yeah. uh, uh, workman's compensation, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, all, all these things that, that we would take, we would want any citizen to have. And I think people in America really don't quite connect with what's going on and they don't they don't understand mm. that these people who are harvesting their food yeah are are not getting the simple protections afforded to any uh u.s citizen yeah 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 the farm workers movement yeah i mean I remember that for north carolina it's such such important work and it's still a real problem and i would say in denmark i mean it is there are there, it's an issue and there are problems with it because we have a lot of people from eastern europe on um, working on on farms in Denmark and we do but we do have strong trade unions so the trade unions are often you know working and organizing people but also um, you know going after some of the farms where there's uh, where there's abuse of, of people's rights or when they're paying people too little or they're living in their living conditions are not good enough so it's an issue um, in Denmark also uh, yeah. but uh, you know, it's uh, in general, Denmark has m much stronger, you know, rules and regulations protecting workers' rights um, and their rights to, you know, sanitary situations and their rights to safety. And um, there's a lot of rules about how you use pesticides um, and, you know, people you can't use um I mean, if people don't have, uh, aren't certified to use pesticides, they can't use it. So you can't just bring somebody in from um, some other country and, and have them, you know, in contact with that kind of, those kind of chemicals too. So that's, yeah, it's an issue in the whole world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right, let's go just for a minute to uh, the public kitchens. So uh, I believe that you've, gotten a policy that a, a certain percentage of the food in the public kitchens must be um, sourced or uh, from certified organic is that correct yeah we had um we had right now um we've had two changes of government since and it's right now it's a little uncertain whether we have that goal or not it was 60 percent organic in all public kitchens we got that put in in 2012 uh, when there was a change of government and, but it set so much momentum that we still have a lot of momentum in that whole area. And it's actually a, a really interesting case of showing the power uh, that when you have both policy and you have a mobilization in the organic sector, because on the policy side, we had the 60% goal. And even more importantly, we had a pool of funding to help the cities with their uh, conversion processes and educating people in the kitchens 
to start making real food again. And then the third part was a, a new label based on our national label for uh, it's a label for organic cuisine. So it's used in restaurants and also also the public canteens and kitchens where you have 30, 60 or 90 percent organic. And that's been a huge point of pride uh, for people getting that. So we have thousands of restaurants and, and, and public kitchens that have this now. That's the political side. Then we mobilized in the organic sector and brought farmers, food companies, and the food service sector together, just like we did in retail, like filling those gaps and building products assortment. We did the same thing for food service so that when the public kitchens started uh, ordering, they had the products. So we had a guarantee of supply. Then we did, a, we did organic schools for people, the frontline salespeople in the whole food service sector in the country. Um, these were very conservative people. Many of them had never bought an organic product in their lives. These are the people who are selling organic products. Um, and we brought them out on organic farms. Um, we through the organic school, got their leadership to say they had to go, you know, but then you know, they see what, is, what does this do mean for nature and, and for water quality and for, um, you know, animal welfare. And they're holding piglets and they're, you know, running around digging up carrots. And these people became fantastic salespeople. So you have this kind of push-pull thing going again. And then the last part was actually the education in the, in the public kitchens where NGOs did this education process with people who had been through really a very, just like in agriculture, the people out in the public kitchens, these were not high status jobs. And they had been through an industrialization process where they weren't really making food anymore. And, you know, they were opening freezer bags and throwing stuff in ovens and so on. And the food quality was down. And they're in a totally different place now. Um, And the trade unions that represent the people working in the kitchens are some of our closest allies because there's this whole new pride and prestige in their work now. And they're because they're not only making much better food, healthier food, um, but by reducing meat, reducing waste, buying more in season, they've created this whole and buying organic. They've created this climate friendly, healthier, organic food and not just doing that at once, doing it in the same budget. So no increases in the amount of money they had because they've saved money on meat, they've saved money by avoiding waste, and now they're making better climate-friendly and organic and paying the organic premium with what they saved on meat and waste. And so it's like everybody's happy. And, and, it's, uh, and, and so the power of that is really being seen. So now this new government, there's, I'm convinced this fall we're going to have a, a new reboost with whole new resources in that area because it's... You know, it really just works all the way across the board. I think it'll yeah, be a part so, of our climate so, policy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That, that uh, it, uh, that's so important. Uh, you know, I I just I sold to the local college. I had uh, surplus tomatoes one year, and I went in and and I had permission to sell to them. You know, from the from the top dog at the university, and I met with the 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 kitchen uh, chef, and I said you know, I'll give you a great price. I'd love to see these tomatoes being used. And they said, we can't, we can't take them. We literally no longer 
are set up to prepare food. All we do is cut a plastic bag open and dump it into the tray. And so unless you can bag up chopped tomatoes, yeah. we can't use them. I thought, wow, you know, this is a perfect example of it's not just about one person's decision. It's about the systemic changes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you, the process of industrializing these larger kitchens has just eliminated the possibility of actually making real food. And, and so, God, I, I was just earlier in, in, in July, I was um, in one of our larger hospitals together with a, a German film team and he, they're at 90, over 90% organic. And he described, one of the really interesting things he described was how he had to like go back to the start on people had to learn how to make food again. And then in terms of all the equipment in there, he had to like get rid of a lot of the equipment and then only bring back new equipment that was needed to reduce the, um, you know, repetitive, the most heavier things that hurt your back or was very repetitive, hard on your hands and arms. Um, and then, you know, kind of rebuilding technology is, you know, what's supporting the people who are actually making real food again. So it's like back to the start. There seems to be a, a vision in Denmark that is inspiring to me. Little Denmark with mm -hmm. fewer people than North Carolina. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, where there, there seems to be this belief that we can do it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and, you know, real change is created and it becomes a model for others. Yeah. One of the ways in which it's a model, you, Denmark got a, an award. Was that from the UN? Um, yeah. Could you tell me about that? It yeah. Was, it was very inspiring. Yeah, it was from the UN and I formed the Global Organic Association and then the World Future Council. And it was a sustainability award for our organic food policy. Um, and yeah, that got a lot of attention and, and that's one of the really important things in the organic movement is spreading best practice. Um, there's a whole lot of best practice out there all over the world. And, and there's actually a new forum that's just been a part of, it's just been launched mostly for um, Asia, Africa, Latin America, sharing you know, best practice on organic food policy, agroecology agro policy but it's useful for anyone anywhere. And yeah, I think, I mean, the things that the UN pointed to was um, kind of the, the breadth of policy, but also that it actually worked. You know, it's like the, the policies actually made change out on farms, in the kitchens, in retail. Um, and then it also they had a lot of focus on our organization, Organic Denmark, which is kind of a missing ingredient in many countries is you, have, you need that NGO as a catalyst to where we go out and make the partnerships in retail who are working and motivating politicians to support organics. And so the organization has kind of been described as this motivation machine, motivating uh, by you know, showing what organics can do for retail, for politicians, for the farming community. And by, you know, collaborating, not kind of in your face, but like what, you know, what is everyone else about out there? What are they trying to achieve? And let's work together. 
Um, that was something else they, they pointed to. And I think that's one of the things I'm working on now is internationally, you know, trying to work with organic associations to, you know, build capacity, um, bring in new competencies so that the organic NGO can be this catalyst out there actively collaborating and, and, uh, and, and creating a, a positive political and market ecosystem around organics in which organic farmers and producers can thrive. You know, it's like, it is, it's like an ecosystem where, yeah, you have to be fierce and competitive sometimes in an ecosystem, but it's also mostly about symbiotic relationships um, where there's, you know, there's a, a value for each part in each exchange. Um, and, and, and that really has worked in Denmark. I, I, I agree completely with you. Let me, let me quote a, a, a comment from Bill McKibben. Um, he said when he started in, as, a, as a climate activist, he thought he was involved in a debate. And, um, hmm. and he realized after a while, after some years, that they weren't involved in a debate. They'd won the debate. They were involved in a fight with money and power. Now, you're, you're suggesting a, a different model of progress, and it's one that's very appealing. But, you know, I, in America, the reason that we started the Real Organic Project is because what we found is that I would say that the groups that disagreed with this stopped fighting organic. They just changed it. Mm. They yeah. said, good, well, let's all be organic. Yeah. And in fact, now they're moving to let's all be regenerative which uh -huh. is even less defined. Um, and so even Monsanto is now claiming the regenerative mantle, mantle in America, along with, you know, General Mills and Cargill and, yeah, and yeah. you know, uh, you know, just, it's, it's a smart idea. Yeah. It's a smart idea. And, and they realize that, that they don't gain by fighting uh, something that's becoming popular. They gain by joining it, but changing it. Yeah, so that yeah. it serves them. And, and so, you know, the Real Organic Project exists because we are trying to protect and promote real organic. And I've said yeah. to my friends in the regenerative movement, you're going to have to have a real regenerative movement because you're already losing it. It's, mm. And it's not because they're, they're fighting you. It's because they're joining you. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a confusing thing, I think. Yeah, yeah. If you, yeah it's a, if you can't beat them, eat them. And there's been a lot of focus, you know, on the commercial level of, you know, large corporations buying up the small organic companies and, you know, taking over those uh, brands um, and respecting or not respecting what they are and so on. But I think it's the same thing at the organizational level that, you know, you see big agricultural organizations and farm organizations that have seen, okay, you know, I could... <laughs> We tried laughing at organics. We tried tramping them out. You know, they're still there. They're growing. Um, let's take them over. And, you know, we represent, we also have organic farmers. We represent organic farms. And I think, um, in a way, that is a victory. And it's a, that large corporations and large supermarkets are working with organics is a victory. Because, you know, like I've said to people, like, you know, if we want all of agriculture to be organic, we're not going to do that without the supermarkets. 
And we're not going to do that without the larger companies in here. But there has to be this dynamic between strong, organic NGOs that hold the line on the values and principles, continue to develop and innovate within organic agriculture so that we're providing you know, new climate solutions and other things, um, but who can also collaborate with these large interests and use their strengths, their market reach, their um, innovative capacity, you know, their research and development departments, so that, you know, but it's, it's, a, it's a tension, but it can be a creative dynamic. But I do see clearly in the United States that things have tipped in a direction that is not good because if we can't, if we can't maintain the integrity of organic farming, then what are we, what are we selling out there? What are, we, what are we practicing? So, but one of the lessons in Denmark, and God, it's, it is a small country. I mean, we, used to, we had eight organizations which we merged into one. First we moved together and then we merged into one in 2002. So we have one organization that has farmers, food companies, and we're talking everything from one person companies to some of the, you know, one of the largest dairies in the world and so on, and consumers and food professionals in one organization. Stronger voice in the media, stronger voice in politics, stronger voice on the market. And so even though there's a lot of disagreements in there, within the organic movement, you have a wide variety of views about what organics is. But by being in one organization, we can find uh, unity and then take on the rest of the world and collaborate with the rest of the world on the basis of strength and clarity. And so that dynamic is... I mean, there's so many things to be fearful about in it, but the dynamic is creative and can be creative and positive for organics. But yeah, you have the definitional issue has to be resolved also. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's an ongoing thing, and I think it'll always be ongoing. Um, I fully expect if the Real Organic Project succeeds that in 20 years we'll need a real real organic project yeah it's it's yeah, the know. nature <laughs> it's the nature of capitalism that that companies gravitate to things that are successful in the marketplace yeah and because they have so much muscle yeah they control politicians uh you know yeah. i know i know people who run large uh organic companies in america they talk to the secretary of agriculture every month yeah. on the phone yeah how's it going sonny I'm just yeah. checking in. Yeah. So that's just the reality of, yeah. and Sonny wants to hear what, what this person has to say because they have tremendous influence. So I, I, I think that we, we need to stop looking for an answer and realize that you know, we are involved in a process of blessed unrest. And, and it's going to be ongoing. And we do need to keep re-examining and recreating and educating. And that's one of the mo most important things you're involved in. If we get eaters who are uh, uh, informed enough, you know, if they're biologically literate, they're not going to be so easy to fool. Right. They're going to start to have very sophisticated questions <clears throat> about how their food is grown and what the impact is on climate. Mm -hmm. And then we move towards more success by whatever name. Yeah. I, I, I toured a hydroponic operation in, in California 
primarily hydroponic marijuana, but they also did a couple acres of hydro berries just so they could get certified organic, I think. And because um, they can't get their marijuana certified yet. So it, it, it was interesting. And one of the people speaking said, yeah, we're based on the principles of agroecology. Uh -huh. Now, Paul, if you had seen the place, you would have said, no, you're not. <laughs> yeah. You know, they were yeah. nice people. Yeah. And they, they had, you know, positive, uh, positive ambitions. But to call that agroecology is simply not what the word means. And, uh, you know, the whole ground was covered with plastic and everything was in, in pots of cocoa husks with drippers. Yeah. It's, it was not anything about the principles of agroecology. Uh, uh, so there's no word, there's no term that is, is not going to be hijacked if it's possible. Yeah, yeah, and quickly. Uh, and I mean, one project I have right now is for nine companies and retailers and then a group of organizations about um, cred credible climate uh, claims on food. And we're doing a major break, putting on the brakes, because right now we're seeing all this, all this climate neutral food and all this other kind of stuff. But yeah, I mean, trying to going in and defining together with the authorities when you can use certain terms like reduced climate emissions, well, reducing by 5%, 10%, 20%, that's not enough. It has to be along the lines of the reductions in the Paris agreement, if it's, you're going to call it reduced. So it's, yeah, it's a definitional issue and organics. Yeah. Taking back the ownership of the de de defi defining organics on the critical issues, we can get lost on t all kinds of rules and everything. And then farmers get really tired and, you know, it's, but, but on the critical defining issues for, for organics. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, before we go, I, I, we haven't talked about nutrition at all. Um, I'm just curious, do you think about that? Is that something that gets discussed in Denmark? Um, I think in America, there's a, a growing conversation about the relationship between soil health and nourishment and nutrition. And of course, this is a foundational, foundational belief of organic yeah. agriculture. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we have um, we have been very very careful in Denmark not to say organic food is healthier. We actually never say it, um, and that's because the next you know the next morning we have researchers saying, you know, no, it's not. You know, it doesn't have more of all of these essential vitamins and minerals, and maybe it has some of these and some of these. So it's more. I mean, the debate, and we we don't push it so much, um, but. The whole issue of antioxidants, you know, having the anti-cancer effects. So that's been a part of the discussion. Um, and, you know, researchers come with new information that, you know, there are more healthy fats in organic milk than others. And that's because what they eat. And, you know, and so it's like some of, these, some of these sort of logical things that people can understand have been a part of the public discussion. But we let it be kind of at that level. Um, so that we don't, you know, run in head on into the, uh, the nutrition 
mafia, some people call it, you know, where, you know, they want to talk about, you know, whether something has more of C vitamins, but Danes aren't lacking C vitamins. They're not lacking protein. They're not lacking any of these things, but they are getting a lot of pesticide residues into their body and they are getting a lot of food additives that we got to, we don't know what they're doing. So it's like, we, we try to put the focus on, you know, good food without all this stuff we didn't ask for on, um, and so that's been more of the nature of our part in the health issue um, and not so much on nutrition as sort of traditionally defined. Would you say that uh, part of the reluctance to go into that, um, that sphere is that our understanding of nutrition is so <laughs> primitive yeah. that... Yeah, it's really complicated. Yeah, it is. And that also makes it difficult to communicate about without things being, you know, half right and half wrong and all kinds of nuances and so on. But essentially, you know, for us, I mean, the appeal to what where consumers are at, at least, is that, you know, if I can get food that doesn't have pesticide residues and doesn't have, you know, GMOs and have, uh, you know, a lot of unnecessary uh, additives, you know, I would rather do that. Um, and, but we had this long process with the government, you know, because they do these tests of, uh, they have a really intensive testing of fruits and vegetables for pesticide residues and, and bread and, and flour and so on. And they're always finding it in the conventional. They're not finding it in the organic. Occasionally there's maybe one case or something where they've washed some apples and some water that, you know, but essentially, it looks really great for organics. And for a long time, they were saying, you know, buy Danish because the Danish conventional has less pesticides than the others. And we're like, ah, I'm banging on their doors for years. But finally, now they say, well, you know, if you really want to be sure, buy organic. So that's the bottom line from the government now. And each year when these reports come, it's like a, yeah, it's kind of a boost for organic. Yeah. Great. So before we stop, um, I just want to go back to something you said. My central message is that organic politics work. So could you say that again in your own words? Yeah, you know, it's important. <laughs> my own words. <laughs> well, I, I just said it, but I would like to have you yeah. say it. So yeah. it, you did say it. I just read something. You well, wrote. I, I think I think that the lesson in Denmark is that a really active. Um, work with organic policy is delivers on a whole range of issues that organic policy works um, delivering you know cleaner drinking water better <laughs> chances for biodiversity um, you know less pesticides in our food so we just deliver on all these areas and what we've you know we have politicians now that you know they've been fighting with trying to reduce pesticides environment but the main thing that is actually working is organics and so so that makes them want to do more you know then organics works we deliver more organic farmers that's what we need you know then working with the, the cities going out in those areas where their water drinking water comes from or where nature needs to be protected um, and then offering together with the cities we've worked with 40 percent of this, the municipalities now offering conversion checks to farmers targeted in the areas where the cities particularly need to protect their drinking water supplies. Um, 
And that is actually, you know, brings it even closer to home. Because then for a consumer, they're reading about this in the paper. And it's not just a question of, you know, in general, this is good for clean drinking water. It's actually the water that's coming out of the tap right there that's being protected by organic farmers. So it's like trying to bring it home really close to um, consumers, you know, citizens and, um, and, and politicians that organic, organic policy really works. All right. Fi- final words of hope for the future? I hope so. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's good. All right. So, Paul Holmbeck, uh, thank you so much. Uh, I had a wonderful conversation with you uh, almost a year ago, and uh, it was so fascinating. I thought, oh, we've got to bring Paul in. You were going to come to the symposium yeah. at Dartmouth in April and COVID intervened. So I'm, I'm really pleased that you could, you could join us for this. Thanks. So. I'm really glad to be a part of All it. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to the Real Organic Podcast. We hope you learned something and will subscribe, tell your friends, and leave us a review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you found us. A video version of this interview, as well as the full transcript with links related to today's conversation, can be found at realorganicproject.org forward slash episode 12. Please join us next time for an interview with local food chef and Real Food in Schools champion, the famous Alice Waters. To find a real organic farm near you, visit realorganicproject.org forward slash farms.